Every new dawn comes out of an old darkness. For every victory we won, there was a battle we needed to go through. We just celebrated our forgiveness of sins. But the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. We're looking to live a resurrected life with power and eternal perspective. But there is no resurrection without death. We're looking for an unconquerable hope. But there is no unconquerable hope without the overcoming of continual disillusionment. And so there were two men on a road to Emmaus who were still stuck in a lingering disappointment. Their focus was on what had just happened and they couldn't quite move from it. Their conversation was painful and personal and all of a sudden they were interrupted by somebody who just kind of didn't have a clue, apparently, about social and emotional EQ. He just wandered up and said, hey, what you guys talking about? You ever had that happen? I mean, in a very personal conversation, and somebody uninvited just comes and says, so what are you talking about? And you just feel taken aback, the gall. Well, not only that, But after they told him, he proceeded to insult them. And you're thinking, what in the world was he doing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he was doing exactly what he needed to do in order to get them out of the cycle that they were in. You see, we will all continue with our disappointments until we are interrupted and sometimes the interruption takes rudeness we want spiritual maturity never realizing that there's no easy or comfortable way to get to maturity maturity by its very definition means that you have overcome something that was troubling Maturity, by its very definition, means that you can see something from more than the perspective that you used to be limited to. And so Jesus interrupted them, interrupted them and called them names in order to get them out. Of, see, if, if you're stuck in just the perspective of where you are right now, you won't even get what, what, what somebody's asking You won't even get the point. I heard a story one time about two guys standing on opposite sides of this this wide, raging river. And and the wind's blowing, and they have to shout to each other. And one of them says, how can I get to the other side? And the other one says, you're already on the other side. (laughs) Totally missed the point. Because he was speaking only from his own perspective. 
Do you understand, if we're stuck in only our own perspective, we will never quite get what God's trying to deliver to us as the next stage of our life. And so these two dealing with lingering disappointment, oh, but we had hoped. Those are some of the saddest words in all the Bible, in all of life. We had hoped that this was the one. And the one is walking beside them and they can't see it. And the one is speaking to them and they can't quite hear it. At least not yet. Because they needed to be shocked out of their perspective in order to open their eyes. In the first of the verses that is our text, in Luke 24, 25, Jesus, it says this. It says, and he said to them, O foolish men. See, this is the insult. You know, they're hurt. It's not as if they're not hurting enough as it is. But, but sometimes, you know, it's not what people need just for you to come and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Because it just leaves them stuck where they are. I mean, it's nice to have the empathy. It's nice to have the sympathy. Doesn't get them unstuck. And so you got to come in and go, you know, you got to move on from here, right? Oh, foolish men. Sometimes you get offended. But the offense is exactly what we need in order to go on to something else. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, have you been listening? Did you listen? When all of the scriptures were, were, did you listen when you heard the stories? Did you listen? Sometimes you got to zoom out. Our natural tendency is to focus on what's right in front of us. But you'll never understand what's really going on until you can put it in a larger context. It's just common sense. Years ago, there was a news uh, channel uh, that was trying to get people to come to, to listen to the news on its channel. And it was doing advertising. And, and it just, it just uh, and, and during some sort of commercial break, you just saw this woman... This, this picture of this woman, video of this woman sitting in her car just peacefully, just minding her own business. And suddenly some guy comes and rips the door open, takes her by the arm, and jerks her out of the car. And you're horrified. You're thinking she's getting carjacked. This is an attack. And just when that happens, the camera zooms out. It pictures the flame underneath the car, that she has no idea that her car is on fire. And suddenly, what seems like an attack is very evidently a rescue. Some of you feel like you're under attack right now. It's a rescue. God has a bigger picture than you're focusing on. And somebody needs... To be able to say, come on now. Do you understand what's happening? I mean, all of this stuff has been read to you. But do you understand, it doesn't need just to fit into the focus you have. It needs to fit into the focus God has. It's, it's bigger than that. 
Some of you are thinking, I'm going through some stuff right now. It's just not necessary to go through. I mean, I, 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 I could, I, I don't need to, I don't need this. How many of you say to you, I do not need this. I do not need this. How many say, yeah, yeah. Well, evidently you do. Evidently. Because you're going through it. And God knows about it. So evidently you do. You know, there's a, quite a revelation that kind of goes off when you go, um, is it not necessary? Is it needed? Uh, the next verse, in verse 26, this is what Jesus says. You know, there, there's all oh, this poor, our poor Jesus, you know, just caught up in this cycle of depression. And, you know, and Jesus says this, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? To enter into his glory. Right now, your present disappointment is your appointed path to your glory. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Go on. It says it's continued. There it is. Then beginning with Moses. Now stop right there. We, we have this this little curriculum here. We've been going through this because in order to think differently, we need to train our brains differently. And that the most effective way to do that is together because you need other perspectives constantly in your ear. And so the logo for this is the little guy who walks out of the box. You know, you're supposed to stay in the box, right? No, you got to get out of the frame. You got to get out of the normal frame, the normal frame of your life. And even though what's happening to you is really happening, you need to understand. You know, there are videos that go along with this. If you haven't done this yet, you, you, you access it's free. Go to the internet, access this, watch the videos. And a lot of these videos, I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with a group. And in this particular video, for this particular week, there were three folks I remember in that group. The first one named Carlos, good looking young man who had, who had come over some years before from, I think it was Puerto Rico, Hispanic young man. And uh, he said, you know, uh, you know, when I got here, I didn't fit. So I didn't fit with the Latin kids. I didn't fit with the Anglo kids. I just didn't fit. And for a long time, I just thought, I'm just out of position. And then I realized I could be a link to both. You don't have to fit in in order to fit. Let me say that some more. You don't have to fit in in order to fit. A lot of us feel like we don't fit in. But that's where you fit because you don't fit in. You're not entirely in this group or not entirely in that group. And that gives you the perfect. Let me show you another Alina. One of the young ladies that, that, that uh, uh, read the, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, led the worship last week. Young girl, <clears throat> when she was first going through high school, she, was, she really went through this cycle of depression. Um, and, and, and she did, you know, some of you know what that is. You just feel like things are never going to get better. You feel, you feel like you just want to self-isolate. That's what depression does to you. Um, and, 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 and you just feel like you're odd. And, and, and you don't fit. And then she 
started noticing the other kids in her high school group. And the number of people, especially young girls, who go through these bouts of depression. And she realized not only was it necessary that she go through that, but she realized the reason she went through that. Because someone going through depression needs somebody else who's been through depression to say, there's life after this. And yes, you are valuable. And yes, you are loved. And yes, you are important. She never could have said that unless she would have been through that. You see, when you say, I do not need this. You really do. But it's not for you. It's for them. That's the larger picture. That's so large. There was, a, there was another woman in our group, came from Nigeria. Chibo is her name. Delightful, delightful. But she always wanted to be liked, you know? Don't all of us, we just say, please like me, just want to be liked. But she wasn't quite getting that anywhere. I mean, then she came to the church and we loved her. And after a while, she realized she was loved. And she was loved no matter what. And she was loved so well, she could be loved or she could love others whether they loved her back or not. That's a pretty important lesson. So she went to this, this one, she had this job and this, her boss just said, I don't like your name. And, and because in my language, it means something bad. And Chibo's response, because she had learned that she was loved by God no matter what, Chibo's response could be, I don't care whether you like me or not. I love you all the same. See, you don't have to fit in in order to fit. That's what God is trying to say to all of us. And he's trying to say that I want to take you back to the origins of Scripture. And let me tell you the importance of Scripture. Scripture, I've said many times, is not just God's story. It's your story. When you read Scripture, you're not just reading about God or about Jesus Christ. You're reading about you. And it it, it comes to dawn on you that some of the phrases you use right now, you really don't understand where they come from. You really understand the depth of their meaning or that they even have a depth. You just use them as phrases. Let me give you an illustration. A couple of weeks ago, Becky, Becky has two brothers and, and every couple of years, um, her brothers and her and their spouses uh, pick out a city in the United States in order to go to learn more about our nation and more about our, the history of their nation. And four years ago, it was, uh, it was uh, Gettysburg, obvious for obvious reasons. Um, two years ago, it was New Orleans. Fascinating history in New Orleans. And this year, we went to Boston. I can't say it. Boston. I never could say that right. And the surrounding territories of Lexington and, and um, um, Seaward. Thank you. Concord. Um, and I'm a big history buff, and so we want to learn about the Revolutionary War. Um, and, and it was fascinating. And, to, and we always get, we rent a guide, you know, and, and, they, and they tell. We had the most fascinating guide. Um, and, uh, and, and so she was going through, and, and she started 
started talking about some of the sayings that we have and what they, where they really come from. For example, you ever heard the saying, sleep tight? Sleep tight? That came from colonial times. Because the beds back then didn't have box springs. They had ropes underneath. And when the ropes were loose, you sagged down. And it was a terrible night's sleep, you know? Didn't matter what kind of pad you had. It was just so awful. But when the ropes were tight, your body was even, and it was a good night's sleep. So when you say sleep tight to somebody, you're saying, I hope your bed is comfortable and we'll give you a good night's sleep. Who knew? Who knew? There's another one. Have you ever heard the phrase windfall? Came into a windfall? means you come into a lot of money, you know, kind of a surprising wealth and so on and so forth. Back in the day, before the revolution, King George wanted all the big tall trees exported to England because we, we grow some good trees over here. England, not so much. And there was a lot of building going on in England, so he just would come over and just take the trees. Except <clears throat> if some huge tall tree in the forest fell during a storm his people had instructions well that that tree must have some weakness in it so don't export that one so if it fell on your property if a big tall tree fell on your property during a storm you got to keep it and all the lumber it produced in other words you came into a windfall all right that's where that comes from let me tell you one more back in the day uh, before the, the Revolutionary War, the English knew what was coming. They heard the rumors. They knew, they knew what was coming. We, were just, we just had it up to here, you know? And so we started stockpiling weapons, and they wanted to seek them out. You know, they wanted, they wanted to come get the weapons. And so colonists would hide their weapons. Only it's easier if you're hiding something to break it up into component parts. There are three parts to a gun. The lock, or the firing mechanism, the stock, or the wooden part, and the barrel. And so they would separate these, they could break it down, hide them in different, and then when they were called upon, they could only participate fully if they were in lock, stock, and barrel. If they had all the parts, I'm in with all the parts. Well, here's the deal. When you read scripture, all of these phrases we use, you not only get the origins of them, but you learn how they, how they are to be, how you are to be used, how we are to be used. In our present circumstance, watch this, with our present relationships. Because that's what Jesus is doing, walking along with them. He's not coming out with a bunch of concepts right away. He's saying, I want you to go back into Scripture and understand the stories and how the stories relate to me and how the stories relate to you. Because the stories are always about relationship. They're not just about theological concept. They're about relationship. I was, um, last week I was in uh, um, Abu Dhabi. It's over on the Persian Gulf. 
And we were with a small group of religious leaders and uh, of Christians, Muslims, and Jews. And the Jews were, were, were talking and, and we got in this conversation about the importance of relationships. He said, do you know the Ark of the Covenant? You remember, if you, if you are a student of the Old Testament, you know that they created the Ark of the Covenant. Matter of fact, here's a picture of it right here. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was this wooden box uh, covered with gold. It contained within it sacred items to the Jewish nation. It, came, it contained the uh, uh, Ten Commandments, contained Aaron's, Aaron's uh, staff or rod. It contained uh, a, a, a vessel of manna from the desert, all right? They, they created this, and they would carry it around as, as, as the presence of God among them. And when they would stop, they would put this in a, in a tabernacle, in a tent. Um, and that was the presence of God separate from their camp. But they were near to God. Now, here's what the Jewish people want us to know. You see those things on top? Those are cherubim. The presence of God, listen to this. It's a, there's a Jewish word, and I can't remember the word. But the presence of God is not in the box. It's between the faces of the cherubim. That's where the presence of God resides. Where does the presence of God reside in this world? Between our faces. The presence of God is in relationships. And so to go into the future, it's not about how much religious knowledge you know. It's not about the theological concepts you can accumulate. It's about how you walk out who God is to those who know him and those who don't. That's where the presence of God is. And that's what Jesus wanted to show them. Not just, hey, I'm alive. But he wanted to walk along with them. And he wanted to give them a more comprehensive understanding. Not just of his life, but of theirs. And so he did. He went into these passages. The next verse says in verse 27. It says in Luke 24, 27. It says, and he said to them. I'm sorry, in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets... He explained to them the things concerning himself of all the scriptures. Now, why? Because if it relates to Jesus, it relates to us. It relates to the followers of Jesus. It's not just about his life. It's about our lives. Where would he have started? Well, beginning with Moses and believing that Moses wrote Genesis, he would have started with Genesis. And he would have started with lessons like this. In in Genesis 3.15, it says this. It's talking about the conversation between God and the serpent who represents the devil. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, you and Eve, between your seed, between your children and her children. In other words, you're going to have a spiritual battle all your life with, watch this, the children that come through Adam and Eve who will have a spiritual battle with you, but here's the prediction. He, who's he? Jesus. That's what he was saying. I am of the seed of Eve. I am the seed of Eve. He will bruise you on the head. In other words, he crushes you. You bruise him. I mean, I, if you've been through a battle, you know that, that, that we're walking wounded. Many of us are walking wounded. And many of us are in a lot of battles a lot of times. And so you get wounded, but you don't get defeated. 
because he's already crushed the head of the evil one. And so when the, when the, when the, when the, um, um, the Savior came, the Messiah showed up. Remember, what, remember their words, oh, but we had hoped that this was the Messiah. How did they miss him? Because they were looking for this warrior that wasn't wounded. And what they got was this wounded Savior. And so Jesus would have gone to Isaiah 53. And he would have seen this prophecy that was of him and of his crucifixion. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken. We just looked at him and said, the guy's just beat up. That can't be the Savior. He's smitten. He's afflicted. Go on. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What did I just say? There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Do you understand what it is to go through spiritual battle? Do you understand what it costs to have spiritual victory? That doesn't come without the battle. Then he would have gone to different passages that directly pointed to him. He would have gone to Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. Just different stories. Numbers 21, 9 says this, And Moses made a bronze servant, serpent and set it on the standard. Do you ever wonder where the sign for medicine comes from? Where that symbol for medicine? You know the snakes on a stick? This is it. This is it. The, tri- the, Israels, uh, the Israelites, or the, the Hebrews, were being attacked by snakes, and they were dying. And it says, Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. What would that point to? What was the, a foreshadowing of? Well, we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, I think it is. We read... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even must the Son of Man be lifted up. Where? On the cross. Why? So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Were you listening? That's what Jesus is saying. Why are you so disappointed in the crucifixion? It just got fulfilled. You can have eternal life. Were you listening? Then he probably would have gone to Deuteronomy. Written by Moses, great lawgiver. It says this, And the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, and from your countrymen, the Hebrews, you shall listen to him. And Jesus would have said, you know who they're talking about? Do you remember the conversation in John chapter 1? Where Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. The reason I'm telling you all of this and the reason Jesus told us all this is because we don't listen very, very well the first time around. We think it's history. It's autobiography. We think it's past. It's present. And it's for the future, the reason we're still here. The resurrected life is all about building the future. Have our lives been arranged? Is there anything in your life that surprises God? Just let me cut to the chase. No, there's not. Is this an accident, what you're going through, right? No, it's not. 
But does that prearrangement, does that prediction that has been upon you who were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb, whose days were ordained when there was not yet as one of them, does the ordination of your days release you from the responsibility of building what you can build and no one else can build in this world to make it more like heaven than earth? No, it does not. It was predicted what Jesus would do, or what Judas would do to Jesus. It was predicted. But you know what Jesus said about that? In Matthew 26, 24, this is what he says. The Son of Man is to go. It's been predicted. I will die, just as it is written. But woe to him by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Just because something is foretold does not release us from the responsibility of actively doing what we can to serve with whoever we can to usher in the presence of Jesus in the future that he saw for this world when he made us. I said last week I was on the Persian Gulf. Let me tell you a little bit more about why I was over there. There's a sheikh over there, a Muslim sheikh, who understands something very, very important. We will never have peace in this world until the leaders of the various religions can get along with one another. We will never have peace in this world until the leaders of the various religions can get along with one another. And so he paid for us all to go over there. Boy, they got more money over there than they possibly know what to do with. There's some rich people over there. But there's some good people over there. And, and so he, 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 an equal number of, of evangelical pastors, by the way, the reason he invited evangelical pastors is because he knows unless he gets us, he won't be successful. We're the least likely to cooperate with anybody in the whole world. And so he starts with the toughest audience. All right? You can get kind of wishy-washy, you know, general, yeah, everybody, everybody kumbaya people. But unless you get the tough nuts to crack, you're not going to really make any progress. So he started with evangelical pastors, Muslim imams, and, and, and Jewish rabbis. And, and, and he got us in this room. And what tickles me about this is nobody expects anybody to, to retract what they believe. I mean, what of our conveners? I want to come uh, um, um, preach here sometime. Good old boy from Texas. Big old, big old Southern Baptist pastor from Texas. He'll just walk into a room full of Muslims and he'll look at him and say, y'all need to get saved. You know, I want to baptize every one of you, you know. He said to the sheik, you know, he said, you know, I hope you don't mind, but I baptized a few people outside that mosque that we went through. Said they fought me a little bit, but I got it done. He's just, he's just that type of person. And so, and so, you know, he's, he's, He's up in front, and, and, and we're having this discussion, and, and somebody says to him, how in the world are we supposed to get along with you when you think everybody who's not like you is going to hell? Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? But the way Bob thinks and the way Bob believes, this was his answer in essence. I'm cutting it down to size here. He says, no matter what the details of my theology they do not release me one bit to love you with my whole heart and serve you with everything I got. You understand, you need to get God out of the box. 
You need to understand that as uncomfortable as it is, God's presence is face to face here. And we're still put on this earth for one reason. We're still here for one reason. What he wants built through our lives hasn't gotten built yet. And so living the resurrected life involves two things. First of all, coming through a whole lot of battles. And understanding that you can interrupt that cycle of, ling- of, of lingering disappointment when you start listening to Christ who is right with you and talking to you this whole time. Number two, you're not here just to solve your own problems. There's a Jewish author, uh, Noah ben who wrote this series of books, I think it was for kids, called Jonah the Baker. And they're full of these little idioms of wisdom. And one of these little idioms says this, you don't kiss your children so that they will kiss you back. You kiss your children so that they will kiss their children. We're not here to solve our own problems. We're not here just to be liked and loved. We're here to build a world that we'll love. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this wonderful time together and for your being right here and speaking to your people. Thank you for the scripture that tells our story and that tells our future. We ask you to apply it to our minds that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.